0: Well, this morning before we get started, uh, God gave me this word a long, long time ago, months and months and months. And um, I just want to give you a disclaimer this morning. Um, I am in no way against saving for the future, preparing for the future, having a 401k. Uh, If you want to buy gold, go ahead. Um, saving, preparing, all that, that's the sermon. But if I didn't give this disclaimer, it may sound like I am uh, against that. I'm not, I'm not a prepper. But had I saved more money instead of living in the moment, I'd probably be able to retire in about five years instead of having to work till I'm 110. Uh, but, <laughs> but I just love living life and wringing uh, the most out of it that I can. And because of that, I'm naturally a gift giver. My son is as well. He gets more out of people coming and having a good time and cooking for people and doing things for people. than if he gets it himself, that's just the way he is. I love to see people have a good time and and get together and enjoy each other's company. And because of that, I'm like, let's go out. We don't have any money. I got some money. Let's go out. (laughs) We'll worry about savings. Well, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. That's not the best plan all around. But having a balance of that. If you're saving to the point that you and your wife and your children are miserable, it's probably not a good plan. Yo um, skin flint, your old miser, take some of that money and take your kids and your wife on a vacation this year. You got enough money to live on. So let's pray and then we'll start. Father, I just thank you for the beauty of holiness that is you, Lord. You are the divine standard that we look to. We see you and we say, I can never be holy like you. And it's true. We can't. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Lord, we're all level. The the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And because of that, Father, we can't look at one another and point our fingers because there's three fingers pointing back. And say, look at how bad you are and how good I am. That's not what it's about. That's not what church is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about we have a broken relationship with God. And what can we do to get that relationship mended? And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would be an encouragement to one another. That if your relationship is broken this morning with God, it can be restored again. That's what salvation is. It's restoring a relationship with the Father. So, Father, guide my words, guide my actions. Let everything I say bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as Christians, we, we say you need to be saved, and people will say, saved from what? And you're kind of like, uh-uh. And we tend to try to go on and preach to people about how bad they are, which typically makes us sound like to them we're so good (laughs) when in fact we're not. The Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. That word there converting is not what the original Hebrew said. It said that the law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul. It's about restoring a broken relationship with God. Man's relationship with God was split in two in the Garden of Eden when man fell and disobeyed God. And it, was, it stayed that way until Jesus came and died on the cross and said, I am the thread, the scarlet thread that can mend that relationship now. And it's simply a matter of saying to Jesus, I want my relationship restored. I believe that you can do that, Jesus. I've messed up in the past. Forgive me. Help me to have a remended relationship. If I were to ask you today, you'd say, well, I'm okay. Everything's all right. And that's pretty well true when the sun's up. But when the sun goes down and you lay in your bed at night and you think about, is there a God? If there's a God, are we all right? Is my relationship with God Okay. And if you don't have peace when you ask that question in your bed at night, it's not. So I urge you to get with me after, and uh, I can talk to you about that. You can take care of it yourself. It's just simply a matter of saying, Jesus, I want my relationship restored. I want to walk in a restored relationship. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Help me to walk in that. That is not what my sermon's about today. <laughs> but you get that one for free. When you went to your financial guy and he said, you need a 401k and you need a Ross IRN, you got to do a 529. Well, we don't have any kids yet. Yeah, but 10 years before you have children, you need to start saving for college. Right? <clears throat> and if you went to this guy and he told you Do this and this and this and this, and it's going to grow at a rate of this and this and this. And then all the banks said, no, we're just going to fail today. And then all your money left. That was some guarantee. I had some stocks one time in a mutual fund. Times got really bad because of a job change, and I had to use it all up to keep our home. Still have our home. So it worked. But when the first big stock market crash of my generation hit, wow, everybody was really in bad shape and they were upset and just depressed and and I felt bad for them, but I didn't have any stocks anymore. (laughs) So it was kind of like the old Alabama song. Somebody told us Wall Street fell, we were so poor we couldn't tell. It didn't really, I had no stocks anymore. I did have my home and I still have it, praise God. And it was almost as if God took the evil that it came against me with a job and turned it for good. I didn't lose any of my money in the mutual funds because I put it back into my home and saved my home. God is a God that's on our side. Did that guy, when you went and you developed all this plan for retirement, 59 and a half, no penalties. Maybe you're going to stick it out to 72. Maybe you're like me and you're looking at 102. Did he tell you and give you a written guarantee that says, Joel, you're going to live and enjoy 20 years of retirement? He couldn't give you that guarantee. Nothing is guaranteed us. Not tomorrow, not the next breath. Nothing is guaranteed us. The title of my sermon today is Tomorrow's Bread. Tomorrow's Bread. It came about as I was reading the Lord's Prayer. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. The disciples came to Jesus. They said, Lord, tell us how we should pray. So Jesus gave them a model for prayer. Now, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. It's fine. Nothing wrong. It's great. It's Jesus' words. Can't go wrong. But it's more a model for prayer. It's saying, start with this first. Then go here, then go here. However you want to mix it up, this is the model. And it starts out with <clears throat> our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what's interesting here is that before you ask for anything, he's saying, give me praise. Give the Father praise for who he is. Talk about his greatness. Put his praise first in your life. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Goes on to talk about our spiritual life. Why does it say bread before our spiritual life? Because God knows who we are. He knows how we act. We aren't worried about our spiritual life. Our belly's growling. So he's saying, look, that's on your mind, man. Give it up. Just give it to God first. Well, what about our daily bread, Lord. Okay, talk to me about it. Okay, you feel better? Now let's move on to spiritual things. Because that's us. It's not perfect. That's not really the way it should be. The best way is to deal with God's glory first, deal with spiritual things, and then worry about our gut. But God knows we're human. And our gut always hollers louder than our spirit man, right? Some of you like saw the cupcakes coming in and you're just thinking about them right now. You're not hearing a word I'm saying. We start looking at the watch. They're going to get all of the food before I get to the, uh, the Golden Corral. They're going to be out of popcorn shrimp. Our guts scream louder than our spirit man many times. And he says, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And then he goes back and rounds it off for praise of God, declaring his kingdom. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. But what I wanted to focus on is our daily bread. He said, Give us this day our daily bread. The model is daily. He didn't say, Give us this day our monthly bread. Why? If God gave you a month's worth of bread, you'd get it. And then He wouldn't hear from you until the last week of bread you had left, He wouldn't hear from you no more the rest of the month. First of the month, God, we need some bread. Well, here's a whole month's worth. He wouldn't hear a peep out of you because you've been provided for until that last, when the bread's about to run out. Oh, God, we need some more bread. We need some more finances. But God says, if I give it to you daily, then you come every day. And you get what you want. And I get what I want. And God wants relationship every day. it said that in the beginning that God would come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day. We see God's heart in that. The creator of the universe seeks out the companionship of man. God still seeks that today. God still seeks that today. It's pretty good I could hide behind this stuff and just talk and y'all wouldn't look at me. I wouldn't be as nervous. I don't have to worry about my hair being out of place. That's the only good thing. That's God fluffing off that stuff as you get older. Started giving away things to my boys. Like, what are you doing this? This is morbid, Dad. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just when I'm dead and gone, nobody's gonna know the story behind it. So here, enjoy it while I'm alive and it's less I got to move around. So, give us this day our daily bread. We're so worried about tomorrow's bread. We're sitting there with hot homemade bread in our mouth, and we don't even taste it. Why? We're worrying about tomorrow's bread already. It's brought to the table. It's hot and we don't even take the butter and put on it the whole experience right hot bread with butter on it man making you hungry <coughs> you don't enjoy it you could take and put some honey on there too oh uh-huh. fresh apple butter oh uh-huh. well no i just got to wolf it down because i'm thinking about tomorrow's bread bless god And we got bread right here in and of itself is awesome. And God says not only that, you can have some honey for it and you can have some apple butter or some molasses. Not the sulfur molasses my mama used to give me. Your mama ever give you sulfur molasses when you were? Oh, it's horrible. Mama gave you a teaspoon just for the heck of it. She just tortured us. It's good for you. Built your blood. I'm like, no, it doesn't because I'm going to go throw up after you gave it to me. Stuff was horrible, man. It's like chewing on gunpowder, but molasses without the sulfur in it. My mom was born in the mountains of Southwest Virginia, uh, uh, Virginia, not West Virginia, but southern part of Virginia, Giles County, and mountain folks, you know, they'd almost have you walking around chewing on sassafras, I mean, um, ginseng root, you know, it's these old remedies. But you've got this bread, and you don't have to wolf it down. You can sit there and enjoy it, appreciate it. God gave it to you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow's bread. You can enjoy this bread right now. You wolfed it down so fast, your taste buds were like, "I, I, I." What was that? Teenage boys. They eat. Well, was it good, son? Uh, Burp, yeah. You you didn't chew your food a hundred times. No, you didn't chew it once. Once. And savor it, eat it, enjoy what's in front of you right now. We get to fretting so much about tomorrow that we don't enjoy the day. Living in the present. Don't fret, God's in control. Turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Then what's going to happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is saying to us that don't be all anxious and uptight. When the thoughts of tomorrow's bread come up, give it to God. God, here it is. I'm worried about this. We need money. We got bills coming up. Just let it up. Regurgitate it to God and say, here, you take it. That's the prayer and supplication. Take it, God. I can't carry it. After you give it to God, faith speaks this way. Thank him before the miracle comes. Say, God, right now I'm giving you my worries, my frets, my anxiety, all of my fear. Take it and I just praise you right now, God, for the miracle. On this side of the miracle. It's easy to praise God on the outside, the backside of the miracle after it happens. Where faith comes in is when we praise him. It's not complicated. It's not mystical. It's not hard. It's simply believing that God's going to act like himself. And because he's not a man that he would lie. God always acts like himself. He always keeps his word. And if we would just praise God on this side of the miracle and say, God, I give you Thanksgiving for providing for my finances. And as we're entering this upcoming year, I just want you to begin to live in the present. Try this year. Harder than ever to live in the present. It says then, if we do that, then the peace of God is going to come in and it's going to pass our understanding. What does that mean? When you've got more month than you've got money at the end of the month, it makes no sense to have peace, does it? But this is saying if we give it to God, we will automatically have his peace. We've got to take steps to do it. Don't fret. God's on your side. See, we see time differently. We think we're in control of time. We think we can manage. Mr. Harris, you need to manage your time better in class. Quit shooting spitballs, you know, and stuff. We we used to be a thing when I was a kid. We shot spitballs. It was crazy because some places were covered in spitballs, you know. Mr. Harris, you need to manage your time better. You can't manage time. There's one dynamic. It governs time, is how you spend it. How are you spending your time? Are you spending it on eternal things, things that are going to be around? Pastor talks about the testimony of how he was called into the ministry and how he saw this thing he had built and it was going to last forever and how God showed him it was going to be destroyed with fire and that this human being is eternal. The people around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, they're eternal. None of this is eternal. None of it. Not one bit of it. It's all going to burn up. But we spend so much time investing in the new home. Of the, nothing wrong with it. But is that where your heart is? Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. What do you value? What do you value most? <coughs> In Second Peter, I'll give you a chance to turn there. Turn to Second Peter, chapter three, verse eight. I'm trying to get through this without sneezing and sniffling and coughing, so apologize. Like I said, the wife thought she got married to Elmer Fudd. I've been talking all. been hunting rabbits. 2 Peter 3, 8. What does it say about God? It says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I wonder how we would live our lives if that was the way it was with us. Quite different. I preached a sermon, Does Eternity Ring in Your Ears, years ago, and I gave the exact number of days, the thousands of days, That my father had to live when I was born. When I was born, I forget, it was, I forget how many thousands of days that he had to live. And I said, Would my father have lived his life differently when I was born if he was shown a piece of paper and it said, Dwight, this is how many days you've got left to live after your last child has been born? How would he have lived his life? Look, I understand, we all got bills to pay, we gotta work jobs. But is that what? Is valuable to you or is it a means to an end I work to earn money to take my family on vacation once a year that's really what I have (laughs) that's what I love my adult children we go on vacation and we get to hang out we eat stuff you shouldn't be eating all week long it's wonderful I eat all manner of crustaceans at the beach I find shells, they're treasures to me. The little kids come up, and I had like 15 kids around me. My wife said, you and your son and your brother, Scotty, are they alike? I said, how? She said, "You all three of y'all attract children and dogs. And I'm at the beach, and I'm digging shells, man. And I look up, and I got all these kids. And everyone walks up, and they're like, what you looking for? I said, treasure, treasure. And it's all these shells. And I preached a sermon on broken pieces because God inspired me with all the shells and we all have flaws, but we're all beautiful to him. What do we put value in? If I didn't need money to take my family on vacation once a year, I probably wouldn't work much more. I like to go back to bartering. I need a goat. You know, you got a goat, I got a chicken. Can we trade a couple chickens for a goat? And tell the government, we don't need your money anymore. We're bartering now. It's a barter town. See, time with my, what was it with my ancestors, my grandfather? His life revolved around the cycle of nature. The sun comes up. It's daylight. You got to be working. When it gets dark, go home. When it gets dark, we're still in this mode. We're just tapping out on that that phone. (gasps) I got three likes, And we're up till two o'clock in the morning. And you wake up and you don't know why you can't hardly move. Your circadian rhythm is blown out the window. Because you don't go to bed when grandpa said go to bed. And you're all dull headed the next day because you don't get up when Grandpa said. People who are early risers, they have a more successful day. They feel like they completed something right from the start. Try it. Now I get up early because of my age. Unless I'm medicated, I will not sleep more than four hours a night. I don't care. I can go if I go to bed at ten o'clock. I'm up at two thirty, three (sighs) o'clock. Doesn't matter. So I had to go to bed a little later because of my age. But my grandfather's life revolved around time in a way that was in harmony. We've got it all out of whack. We're trying to squeeze 30 hours out of a day. <clears throat> Pardon me. And God says it doesn't work. See, it says that God sees time. A.W. Tozer, my favorite author. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that God stands in one place and sees the past, the present, and the future without moving his eyes. In one stare, he sees it all. Doesn't move his eyes. Tozer said of God, thou art thyself, thine own eternity. Wait a minute, let's back that one up. Thou art thyself, God, thine own eternity. Eternity, time itself began with God. There was no time before God. God exists outside of time. We call it being transcendent, omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's not only every place at the same time in His fullness, but He's in every time slot. The past, the present, and the future, all at the same time. You can't do that. We see time linear, right? The past, the present, the future. and the past, we're all like, got all them regrets. You know, I should have done this. I should have bought stock in Microsoft. I should have this. Or... In the past, we carry all that burden and, and all that stuff and junk from our past. And it weighs us down. And then we got the future. We just bought, We just stepped right over the present we went right into the future. and like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I wonder what kind of year it's going to be. I don't know. Stock market's going crazy. President this and the president that. And Congress doing this and Congress doing that. And you're all upset. Some of my brothers said, I believe in the pan theory. It's all going to pan out in the end. God's in control. Whether this country survives or not. I'm a patriot to the bone. My brothers fought. I've got friends that fought in Vietnam, been blooded, decorated. I'm a patriot to the bone. But it's not about the United States of America's kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. Who do you worship? I worship the one who said, I hold the heart of the king in my hand and I turn him like a river wherever I want him to go. All those people screaming and hollering in government, God's in control. Relax. What's going to happen in the future? Oh, am I going to have enough money? And you will begin to base a belief system upon something that there is no proof that it's going to happen. Nothing. You will begin to structure your life. (coughs) Your present will be aborted because you neglected the present, it will die. And you'll be living in the fear of the future. An uncertain future. An unproven future. A future that has no proof that that bad thing is going to happen. God says, I've given you proof and precious promises. And I've shown you men in the past where I have kept my word. And the sure word of God is not enough. We believe our own imaginations more than we believe God. And we let our present die. And we step into an uncertain, fearful future and live in depression. God, help us. Help us to live more in the present. Look at Psalms 91. Not much more here. Psalm 91, verse 7. Think about God knows past, the present, and the future all at the same time. We actually lived before time because you lived in the heart and mind of God, and God is a being that existed before time, so that means that I existed before time because I existed in the consciousness of God. So when you start thinking these puny, silly little thoughts about the past, the present, and the future, think about Really, I'm a timeless being because I was in God's consciousness before time began. So that went on, you give you a headache before you leave. In Psalms 91, verse 7 through 8, let's read it. It says that a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. God's in control of everything in our life. Why did it say a thousand and ten thousand? I thought about that. Why the number? And then, God, for me, you may ask Dr. So and so with three PhDs, which simply Stanford for piled high and deep, and, and, and he may tell you something different. But what God showed me from this verse was that a thousand, son, represents the stuff that you can do, the little problems. The, the, the things that come along, and you're praying towards heaven and rowing towards shore. You're working together with me to work that little, those little problems out. And God went on to say that the 10,000 sun represents the big stuff. It's when all hell feels like it's come against you. You get that phone call with your child's been in an accident or that doctor's report comes back bad. And God said, those are the things that there is absolutely nothing you can do to resolve it. And those are the times when you have to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. You have to be still and know that I'm God. for I'm on your side. God says, I'm God of the little problems in your life. And I'm God of the big problems in your life. So son, can you just enjoy the present? Can you stop worrying about tomorrow's bread? And enjoy what's in front of your face. What is it in front of your face? Can we begin this coming year to try to wring every bit of life out of every day we can? There's a really, (coughs) pardon me, it's a really good song. It's an old song by Tim McGraw, uh, Live Like You Were Dying. Every time I hear it, I start crying. I think about my dad. It's the song about his father. Live like you were dying. I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. For some of us, that's a reality. How much more would relationships mean if we knew the number of our days? What would we measure a man by if we had our genuine reality? of time and the limitedness of time. Will we measure men differently? Trump, Netanyahu, all these world leaders, they all died. They're going to die. If they haven't died, they will die, just like I'm going to die. The only difference is one might be in a gold coffin, and my ashes might be thrown on the beach and emerald. Island. But we're all going to die, and we're all going to face the judgment, and God's going to want to say, You had a chance to restore relationship with me, but you didn't. Why? Now there's nothing I can do. Had you done it while you were alive, our relationship would have been restored and we would live together in eternity. Now, son, you've tied my hands. There's nothing I can do. You had a chance to restore relationship. We all face death looking back no one on their deathbed has ever said gosh I wish I'd spent more time at work and saved more money I wish I'd have went on that cruise that's what they're going to be saying I'd have wish I'd have went to the all you can eat crustacean bar and ate crab legs till I was sick when they're laying there I wish I'd have went elk hunting me and my son we dream we hunt deer in Virginia, but in our minds, we're hunting elk. You know? You know, what's that thing? I'm not telling you to neglect your family or go out and spend all of your savings, okay? I'm just telling you, rethink. What is your primary focus? What, what are you hoarding up money for? The man, Jesus, said it really plainly to folks like me and you farmers and regular folks, what I call real folks, the folks, the backbone of America. He said, you know, there was this old guy, and he had a big farm, and he had a lot of crops, man. He did well. So he harvested all these crops. He said, I got to build bigger barns to hold all my corn. I'm going to be wealthy, and after that, after that, I can take it easy. He said, this man's a fool because tonight, I require his soul from him. His time has run out. Infinite time and eternity finite in his life. We plan for retirement when we're young men and women. And, well, I could do that. But one day I'm going to enjoy life. Save, save, save. Work, work, work. Well, honey, can we go on away for a couple days? Woman, you know that's gonna cost me one three of a percent on my interest rate. You know we can't do that. One day though, woman, when I'm three hundred years old, we're gonna go on that cruise. And we're gonna get up high and I'm on zip line. If I could only raise my arms. Well, I can't ride the zip line today. You spent your whole life talking about when I get older and I retire, I'm gonna enjoy life. And God says, You're a fool. Tonight you meet eternity. I told my son one time, I wasn't being morbid. We were just talking about things. I said, son, my greatest hope, I'm not a perfect man by any means. And depending on who you talk to, he might say I wasn't a good man. I don't know. It's not for me to judge. But I said, I'm not a perfect father. I haven't been. I'm trying. But my hope is when you look down in that box at me when I'm dead, that you have more good memories than bad. Are you creating good memories? All right, let's move on. Isaiah 26, our last scripture. And I promise we'll get you out of here. Oh, yeah, we're going to be okay. Turn to Isaiah 26. Ring every bit of life out of every day you can. Treat every meeting with some stranger as an eternal meeting with eternal consequences. Every meeting, whether it's family, friends, or a stranger, treat it as if it's eternal because it is. When you meet that stranger, ask them, when you lay down in bed at night, do you have peace? See what their answer is. No. You know, I can offer you a way to get peace that goes beyond your ability to understand. It's peace with God. You need a relationship restored. It's in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, I will keep him in perfect peace. Peace. Whose mind is stayed on God because he trusts in you. What's interesting there is that word mind in the Hebrew is the seat. It means literally, it's not just the way you think, but it's the seat of our creative imagination. It means the things that we think about and we think about them to the point that they get down in our heart. and We begin to confess words of faith over them, these bad things, and then we begin to walk in them. It's what I call pseudo-faith, false faith, dark faith. Because we think about those things to the point that our creative imagination begins to make them come to pass. We begin to walk that way and talk that way and act that way. And fear creeps in. And those thoughts, we have to take those thoughts when they come in captive, the Bible says, before they take root and grow. And then when they mature, they bring about fear and bondage and pain and depression. Because this is the seed of our creative imagination. He's saying, if you will keep your mind stayed on God, how do we do that? A relationship every day. You don't have to read a whole chapter. Look, half these names in here I can't even pronounce. I've been to Bible college and I'm like, (laughs) and so and so beget What kind of name is that, right? You don't have to have a doctorate. He says, get in there in that psalm and read a couple of them and just say, God, I I want to be close to you. It's simple. That's keeping our mind, our creative imagination stayed on God. We will have peace. We will have peace. Peace. But see, that thought of ruin and worry, it comes into our mind. We need to deal with it right away and speak God's word over it. We make it null and void when we do. We make that thought null and void. When we begin to give place to that thought, remember what Philippians said, that he's going to give you a peace that passes understanding if you take the thoughts, the anxious, fearful thoughts, and give them to him. Keep your mind stayed on the fact that he's in control. Live in the present. Don't worry about tomorrow's bread. Be thankful for today's bread. We can't live with a thankful heart because we're worrying about tomorrow's bread. God says, have a thankful heart. When I went to a men's conference, and some of you have known this story, I went there and I wanted something spectacular to happen. And I went down front and, you know, this men's conference, it was pretty cool. You know, we got all these guys singing. It was awesome. And these guys weren't afraid. You know, they weren't embarrassed. They were raising their hands. I seen this one big old muscle bound guy could have broke me in half. And he was down on his knees and he was crying. And there was a dude even bigger with his hand on his old ball head praying for him. I'm like, this is pretty cool. And they weren't ashamed, you know, and. And so we were up there, and, and, and I went up there, and so they said, look, if you guys want to come down front and worship God, you know, go ahead. And this boy in a wheelchair, right, he goes down front. You know, and you do the little Holy Ghost dance, you know, we just kick your feet a little bit. Well, he took, when the music started, he did a wheelie <laughs> in his wheelchair, and he was spinning that thing. He was dancing the way that he could dance praising God. And I looked over at him and the spirit of the Lord inside said, you're not a thankful man. And I went And I went down and I cried like a baby and I wept until I needed salt tablets. And I said, God, forgive me. And I heard the spirit of the Lord inside because I don't hear the audible voice of God. It's inside. He said, If he had your legs, son, he'd be jumping as high in the air as he could. I said, oh. And I cried some more. So the next night we went up there, and I said, God, if you give me a second chance, I'll scream and holler your name, and I'll dance as hard as I can. I don't care if I make a fool out of myself to the whole world. I don't care. And I went down front and the music started and they said you guys come down if you want. Worship however you want. Sit and be quiet, jump and holler, we don't care. I looked and the young boy, huge auditorium, he comes down. Young guy, about 20 years old. And the music went to start, he looks all the way across at me. I looked at him and he goes, thumbs up. I was like, Whew. Thumbs up. Man, when that music started, I didn't know I could jump that high. Look, I needed Advil the next day. Don't get me wrong. But I was jumping, and I was screaming Jesus' name till I lost my voice. And God said, now, it's about the heart, son. I don't care if you scream and holler. You can sit and be silent, but what does your heart say? Are you so focused on tomorrow's bread that you're not a thankful man about today? Do you pass by your wife and your children without a nod or a wink and say, I've got to get to work because we got to prepare for the future? And your kids growing up not even knowing your name, they don't know your story, sit down with your kids and say, this is how I grew up. This is the way I, I act like I do. I worked so hard because I had one pair of pants and one shirt and one pair of shoes my whole life, son, forgive me. I've been driven to have things for you but I've neglected you. Forgive me, son. The shoes and pants will melt, but they are eternal. Be a thankful man. Be a thankful man. Well, I just urge you, live life in the present. That's all I have. It's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. Just try to live more of your life, thinking about the right now. I'm not telling you to neglect the future, not save. You don't want to be like me, working until you're 105. It's okay. It's my life. I've enjoyed it. I'm going to continue to enjoy it. I think we got a little money the other day. It was like a couple hundred dollars or something. Lori said, we're putting that in savings. I said, no, let's go to Captain George's. God gave me a saver for a wife because he thought I'd be broke and wouldn't have two nickels to rub together. I was a giver always. And in Bible college, it came back to me though. I was in Bible college and just to show you the, just the goodness of the Lord, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I'm going to Bible college at night and work during the day. Got three kids and a mortgage. Woo, that's sporty right there. I'm going to tell you. And, uh, I left work. I said, Lord, I got enough gas to get to class, and that's it. I ain't got no money. And you can't use a debit card because you will be overdrawn. You can't use it for a dollar. You will be overdrawn. I said, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to school. And when I'm done, I'll get in the truck, start driving home. I'll drive as far as I can drive until it runs out of gas. And I guess you'll give me a ride, God. That's what I did, and I went to class, and nobody knew, nobody knew, but my incredibly strong-natured wife, what we were struggling with, and I got there, and class was over, and this guy named Lee Lamb, and if he knew I was mentioning his name, he'd be embarrassed. He's a great guy. He'd come up to me in the parking lot. I was fixing to get in my truck, and kamikaze it up the road. Here, brother, God told me to give you this during class. And he handed me five $100 bills. And I stood in the parking lot of Bethel Bible College and cried like a baby. He said, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. I'm like, you just don't understand, man. You don't understand the goodness of the Lord. My daily bread. I was living in the moment. Bible College was the most stressful time in my life. But I was living in the spiritual moment so much, the present God was saying, don't worry about the future. Get in your car and drive. You will get home. I see the future. And because of that, God bless me. I'm urging you, God works out the future. It's already set. Be in the present. Enjoy today's bread. Forget about tomorrow's bread. Let's pray and I'll let you go.